We are in a series called Overcoming. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But want to look in the back of the room at the camera and say good morning to everybody online. And uh, good morning, Chapel. Scott's edition, 1115. Glad to have you here with us. And of course, the men and women of HARP, we, we love you. Excited about all God's doing in Chesterfield County Jail. And we're thinking of you today, waving through the camera. So thank you for being with us. How's everybody doing today? Good? It's a good day to be in church. We're honored that you're here. And um, I want to let you know about just two things that are coming next week. Is a really special weekend for us. We have baptisms, water baptisms in all services, in the four services here in Midlothian, as well as the two in Scott's Edition. So if you haven't signed up for baptism, you can uh, do that today. ChapelRVA.com slash baptism or sign up on the Connect card. Drop it off at Next Step. We'd love to help you take your next step. Baptisms are one of our favorite things. And then um, I, I, we're, we're ending the Nehemiah series today, even though we didn't even get halfway through it. And uh, so we'll pick it up again. I just realized we're in chapter four and there's 13 chapters. And, and so I ran out of time. So we're going to pick this up and uh, launch it again. But next weekend's a very important weekend in our church. We're launching a five-week series called Next, where we're going to lay out God's plan for our individual futures, but also roll out a lot of really exciting brand new things that are coming for the next two years in our church. So it's, an, it's a can't-miss Sunday next weekend. We'll hand you some information. We'll start to dream together, pray together, talk together about what God's going to do. We can't wait. We started uh, sharing it in these vision nights, but can't wait to spend a month uh, or so praying, believing God for some special things as a church. So make sure you're part of next, next weekend, next, next weekend. All right, let's dive in. We're, uh, I want to give one last message in Nehemiah. I skipped two chapters, which I'm sad to, but I, I had to get to chapter eight because the people have, um, they've rebuilt the physical walls, but now God really wants to make sure that they rebuild the spiritual walls of their own life and disciplines and commitment to Jesus. Do you know it's possible to, to, to succeed in building a lot of things in our life, but fail in building the most important things? You know that? In fact, I think, I think it's possible to, uh, to succeed in, in making a living, but not succeed in making a life, you know. That we build our future, we make plans for schooling and business and life. And if we're not careful, uh, the most important things, the spiritual things of our life, our connection to God and the most important people near us can be sort of marginalized. And so God gathers the people in chapter 8 and they've just finished rebuilding the walls. Rah, 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 you know, 52 days, it's amazing. They won their Super Bowl, you know. And, uh, but, but then God challenges them. And, and lays out his word and he reminds them that if they don't build what's most important, they're going to miss out on that. And so I want to talk to us today about, about not just building the outside stuff, but the inside stuff. One, one person said character is when what's, who we are on the inside exceeds who we are on the outside, right? We've taken the time to focus on our connection to God. And so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. It's, a, it's one of the great passages. And I, I think today's message too is, is really um, one of those messages that will kind of be foundational uh, for who we are as a church and for where we're headed and what our focus is. And let, let me show you this, Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people came together as one. Come on, they came together as what? As one. And, and I love that. They came together as one in the square before the water gate. Man, there's something that God does when people are unified. 
There's something that God does when we come together as one, and whether it's a marriage or a business or a church, there's something of God's blessing that rests upon unity and togetherness. We, we have that in the life of our church, such a sense of togetherness and unity, even in different services and different locations, all kind of built around our vision as a, as a church. And do you know, uh, 10 times in the first five chapters of the book of Acts, it says they were together or they were unified or they had all things in common and I I was just reminded that when you have the unity of the book of Acts you can have the power of the book of Acts that there's something about us being united and they came together as one and they told the um, they told Ezra the teacher of the law to bring out the Bible to bring out the book of the law of Moses that's the Torah the first five books of the Old Testament Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers Deuteronomy so they bring out the Bible which the Lord had commanded for Israel. And all the people, they listened. Come on, how did they listen? They listened attentively to the book of the law. And Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. And look at this. Ezra opened the book, okay? So Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, look at this. All the people stood up, right? How many know standing up is a sign of reverence, isn't it, right? When a judge enters a, a courtroom, what happens, right? The honorable Judge Judy, when she comes in, what happens? Everybody stands up, right? How many know at a wedding, when a bride appears at the back aisle, what happens? Everybody, come on, everybody stands up to honor the bride. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the back room with a groom. And he, they usually say something like this, how do I look? And I, I say the same thing every time. No one cares. <laughs> you look fine, but no one cares. The only way you're going to even make news today is if you don't go out there. Other than that, no one cares about you. I've never seen anybody say after the wedding, did you see that groom? Mm. <laughs> and if they did, that's a problem. It's a different sermon, okay? But... But man, the groom, he comes in, everyone's yawning, it don't matter. But when the bride shows up at the back of the room, right? Come on, everybody stands. Oh, 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 they just stand, you know what I mean? Because, because there's something about a sense of honor. Here's what happens. The people have gathered. They've already built the physical walls. But, but for 100 years or 150 years, these walls have been deteriorated. But not only have the physical walls been knocked down, but they haven't prioritized their spiritual life. Sacrifices aren't happening. Regular worship isn't happening. They aren't prioritizing the reading of God's word. And so God is sort of gathering them together in a sacred assembly where they're going to set some things straight. And literally, as they open the book of God, the word of God, all the people stand. They have a sense of reverence. I want to say today that we need to have reverence for God's word, right? That we are a church that's built on God's word. And I think that's why this is important to say today, because I think we live in a world where maybe 10 or 20 years ago, we didn't have to emphasize this as much, but some churches are choosing other paths of popular opinion or uh, cultural issues, and they're, 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 they're compromising God's word, and we're a church that believes in God's word. We prioritize God's word. In fact, I can always tell a church where this is happening because I'll ask a pastor what their church believes on some issue, and they'll say something like this, oh, it's nuanced, and that usually means they don't have the guts to tell me what they believe. Mm, this is good preaching, isn't it? Yeah. 
But I just want you to know this weekend that you are in a church. It's, we got to be careful because you could see the lights and music and maybe think, oh, the, mod- the style of the church might be modern. But you need to know we're a church that really highly prizes God's word. We built on the Bible. Everything we say and do is built on scripture. And so so we, there has to be a, 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 the primacy of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the highness of Scripture, a loftiness of Scripture in our midst that it is not the decisions of humanity that guide our church. It's not the opinion polls or changing world, but it's God's word, okay? In fact, uh, just to give you a sense of the direction of our church, where it's going, it used to be that 20 years ago, pastors could completely stay out of politics completely. And a few people kind of picked at it a little bit. Some churches kind of stayed out of it and just stayed with God's word. But it feels like the culture is increasingly picking a fight with the church. So it used to be 20 years ago, some of the churches picked a fight with culture. Now the church is kind of minding its own business and the culture's picking at the church. And, and you just need to know uh, that the church is a place we stand on God's word. You need to know where we're headed as a church. Even if there's pressure and, 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 and all that put upon our church, we're going to have to stand on what the Bible teaches on morality and life and truth because that's who we are as a church, right? In fact, that's just who we are. In fact, I think, I think actually it's going to be a guide to us to reaching people. I think it's going to be a guide to us in reaching people. It maybe didn't used to be, but I think we're, our world is crying out for a safe place that can just tell them what they, just obvious facts. I mean, how many know our world's gone nuts? I didn't do this in the other services, but I'm feeling kind of loose. Uh, <laughs> Our, our world's gone nuts, okay? And I think people are just dying for people to say radical things that are just the most obvious things to everyone else. Because if you say it at your work or in your college, you, you lose your job or you get canceled. We're going to be a church that's going to stand on the truth of God's word. God, what God says, we say as a church. And so that's who we are as a church. And so the people came and they stood up. Here's the first thing. Just write it down this weekend. They, when they received God's word, they received it reverently, okay? They recognized it not as the words of a human but as it is the word of God, right? They recognized that it, that it had a distinctness among literature. This wasn't the Wall Street Journal. This wasn't Twitter. This was God's word, okay? And because of that, the people stood with a sense of reverence that God was speaking to his people. We need to have that as a church, the sense that God's word is lofty and it's powerful. Second Timothy 3.16, that all scriptures God breathed. That it's inspired by God and it's written for teaching, training, correcting, and righteousness. Verse 17, so that the people of God might be fully equipped to do everything God's called us to do, right? People who believe in the reverence of God's word. People who say, your word, oh God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. It's going to set my direction. How could, uh, people that say, how can a young man keep his way pure but by living according to God's word? People that say, uh, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. People that say the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, testing the, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. People that believe that all other literature is just literature, but there's something about the book of God that has the ability to change people's lives, right? And that's what happened. The people gathered, and they didn't gather to just hear a speech from somebody. They gathered to hear God's word declared, okay? God's word laid bare and confront their lives. We need to be a church that has a high reverence for scripture. And literally, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. 
And look how the people responded to God's word. And all the people lifted their hands and they responded, amen, amen. Did you know you should say amen when I preach? Twice. No, there's this, there's this idea that as the, God's word was, was declared that there was a participation of people. That there was an engagement. That there wasn't just a sit back and when's this getting over. That there was, there was a sense of, that there was a dance going on between God's word being spoken and the people receiving it, right? So I thought we'd practice for a minute this weekend, okay? I'm going to give us a few different kind of amens. I probably have a few Baptists in the room. I know I do. Come on, somebody give me a Baptist amen. Come on, give me a amen. That's good. Come on, any Presbyterians, just give me a mmm. Go ahead. Come on, just give me that. You know what I mean? Maybe some Church of God. Preach it, preacher. Anybody got one of those? Okay, yeah. I remember I was preaching at this one church, and this lady in the back kept yelling, preach it, preacher. And I thought, I'm trying. Like, I just honestly felt this pressure. She's like, preach it. And I was like, I'm really trying. Is it bad? Just be honest with me. Like, I'm doing my best up here. You know what I mean? But I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, here's what I'm saying. They're in the people of God who realize the word of God, there's a give and take. There's an energy. That's what I love about our church. There's a, that's good. Amen. There's that we aren't just gathering to hear God's word. We're gathering to respond to God's word, right? That together, not only do we, do we receive it reverently, but we, we deal with it responsively, right? That whether it's the worship or the word, we're in a dance where, where people are leading worship on the stage and people are worshiping in the seats. God's word's being declared from the front and God's word's being, being reverberated from the seats. There's a, there's a sense of collectiveness, a sense of joint amen. The Bible says they raise their hands. They said amen. They bowed down. There was, a, there was an interaction to God's word being declared. Because they hadn't just come to listen. They'd come to engage. Isn't there a difference? There's a difference between listening and engaging. I was at, uh, some of you know, one of my closest pastor friends. His name is Kelvin Duncan. He uh, pastors Faith and Family Love. Pastor Kelvin. Well, I was at, he's a VCU Hall of Fame basketball player and I was at his basketball camp one year and uh, he was talking to the guys on the team and some of them weren't looking at him when he was talking. And I'd only seen nice Pastor Kelvin, but I saw a different Pastor Kelvin that day when he slammed the basketball on the floor and he said, hey, and I said, oh, Lord, I mean, I was so scared. <laughs> yes, sir. You know, I mean, and he, and he taught a principle that day. I'll never forget. He said, we listen with our eyes. And I, I'd always thought we listened with our ears. But he said back, what do we listen with? And I said, our eyes. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> definitely. And here's what he was teaching. He was teaching that as he talked, some of the guys just had their heads down, just, just chilling, just not. And he said, hey, hey, when the coach talks, you engage. You listen with your eyes. I'll never forget that. And so I went home that night and at dinner, I was talking and I said, hey, I banged the table. We listened with our eyes. And it didn't have the same effect. No one even got. But here's what he was teaching the players that day. 
He's teaching them that there's one thing to have somebody talking. It's another thing to have everyone invested. There's something about a church that's hungry for God's word. That there's amens. There's engagement. There's leaning. Instead of leaning back, we're leaning forward. Because we're eating of the bread of life. We've come to hear not just the words of a person. We've come to hear the word of the living God. How many believe that's why we've gathered today, right? Hear the word of the Lord. They listen responsively. And, and it's amazing. They read from the book of the law. And then they explained it. They made it clear and gave the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Can't we just be honest? All of us have read some passages in the Bible and thought, huh? Anybody ever been in Leviticus or, or the lady with the tent peg who hits it through the guy's temple? And you're like, really? What is that about? You know, like, I mean, they're, they're, like how many would admit you've ever been confused reading the Bible, right? And so here's what happened. Ezra reads the Bible, and then there are leaders throughout the people. He gets done reading a section in sections in chapel small groups that day. They chew on God's word, and they give the meaning, and they explain it so that everyone can understand what's being read. I think this is one of the functions of a local church, a calling on pastors, to not only read God's word, but explain what it says. This is what we've been trying to do the last six weeks on Sunday mornings in the book of Nehemiah. We've been trying to just go through passage by passage through the Bible and then just explain what it meant and then what it means to us today. In fact, I remember talking to a pastor a few years ago who he preached all topical sermons. Every week he had to think about something new. And I said, what's it like to preach a topical sermon every week? You have to think about what you're preaching. He said, oh, it's hard. You always have to think about what you have to preach. And I said, well, you should do what I do. And he said, what? I said, I just like preach the Bible because you don't have to think about it as much. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, you know how you like sit there? I just like open the Bible and then I just read that. And then he's like, and then what do you do? And then I was like, well, on Sunday, I just tell everyone what I read. (laughs) So like, that's kind of like, it's really deep. Like what I'll do is I'll read the Bible. Then on Sunday, I'm like, hey, y'all, you got to hear what I read this week. And then I do that again. He's like, that works. And I was like, yeah, it's easier. How many think we ought to just read the Bible, say what it says, and say what it means to us, right? And that's what they do. They explain the meaning, or, or here's the thing. They, they take God's word and not only receive it responsibly, but they, they, they receive it accurately. This is one of the callings of the local church to maintain what the Bible calls sound doctrine. Paul, the word sound literally means healthy doctrine, that one of the jobs of our church is to keep our church healthy by not letting us become flakes that misinterpret scripture and get off on some edge of Christianity, but keep us centered and balanced in God's word. We receive God's word accurately. Did you know that you can use God's word wrongly? In fact, did you know that many cults or wrong teachings have some Bible verses in them? They just take them out of context or emphasize one truth without another truth. Did you know some of false teaching isn't totally false teaching? It's just only giving half truth without the counterbalancing whole truth. Or it's got the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. (laughs) It's not that it's totally heresy. It's just the wrong thinking not applied the right way, right? And so, so that's what's in fact, in fact, I don't even know if you know this, but Satan knows scripture. In fact, he quoted scripture. If Satan was in person here, he would join a small group and cause trouble because that's what he does. And if you have Satan in your chapel group, just email us at info at chapel RVA. We'll help you deal with Satan. Okay. 
Because he would come, Satan, Matthew 4, Luke 4, to Jesus in the wilderness, and he would twist scripture. And Jesus would say, no, 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 it is written this way. You know, Meaning he would actually quote scripture the wrong way. In fact, that's how the whole first sin started in the garden. He comes, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No, God didn't say that. He said you could only eat from, not eat from one tree. But he said, did God say you can't eat from any tree? And then it gets Adam and Eve confused. And they say back, well, God said we can't eat it or touch it or we will die. And God never said anything about touch it. But basically what he's doing is he's taking the truth and just, just. How many know if you take dead center and you move it just off a little, by the time you get over there, you're off a lot, right? And that's the calling on the local church to rightly, 1 Timothy 2.15, divide the word of truth, right? This is Paul who was a tent maker. And the analogy is that when he cut pieces of tent, he sewed them together to, to construct a tent. And the job of a pastor is to rightly divide God's word so that it's not weird, okay? In fact, Paul commended the Bereans in the book of Acts because after they taught them the word, everybody went home and decided if what he said was true. Just so you know, you'll never offend me if you say, I heard the sermon, I'm gonna think about it a little more. I'm gonna read the Bible and make sure you're right about it. How many know that's a healthy church, right? That says, I'm not, I'm not, here, to just, I'm not here to just follow what one person says. I'm here to make sure it lines up accurately with God's word, okay? We want to be a church that not only not only uh, responsively and reverently interprets God's word, but we accurately interpret it. So what happens is something really powerful begins to happen in their midst as God's word is read. They realize they haven't lived up to it. <laughs> How many of you have ever read a Bible verse that you didn't live up to? If we don't have more hands, I'm going to have to change the sermon because <laughs> kind of is all of us, right? Yeah. I mean, all of us have read a scripture and thought, ooh, I don't live that Bible verse very well. This is what happens to them. They begin to mourn and weep for the people are weeping as they listen to the words of the law, meaning they heard God's word and they realized that their lives had come up short of God's word. You ever been there? You ever read the fruit of the spirit and one of them is patience? And you thought, patience? I would love to replace that with efficient but the fruit of the spirit is efficiency. You know what? Because I like to be an efficient driver. How many know what I'm talking about? Like you're in front of me at the stoplight, it turned green. And I'm just, I'm just encouraging you. Just a little encouragement. Not a, not a, just a, let's get going. Just here to encourage you, you know. Everywhere I go, I just encourage people with efficiency. I'm at the Starbucks order and I say, I'd like a tall pike, a little bit of cream. That's it. And then I say, that's it. And they say, is that it? Yeah, because I already said that's it. Because here's what I was doing. I'm saving you a step from saying back to me that's it. Because I'm here. I already thought about it. I'm good. So when I say that's it, I don't need you to say that's it again. Because I already, is that all? That's what that's it means. Because I'm not trying to be a pain. I'm just trying to efficiently keep this process going. Because I love all the people behind me in line. No, mostly because I'm a jerk and I need to learn patience. How many know what I'm talking about? Right? How many, how many have ever had a scripture pointed at, that you just thought, oh, I mean, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Who doesn't hate that one? Slow to become angry. Really? Quick to listen, but I have so much to say and so few people that care, you know? Like, I want to be quick to speak and you should be quick to listen. I'll be quick to talk, you quick to listen. We'll have a great friendship. You know what I mean? 
But how many know God's word corrects us? You ever been reading a verse and you thought, ouch, right? That's what happens as as Ezra's reading the scripture. They realize that their life and God's word don't line up. And so they begin to weep. And by the way, let me just say this. We have to decide when God's word and our life don't line up, which changes. And some churches are saying, well, if God's word and my life don't line up, maybe we should just figure out how to wiggle this word around. Because that way I won't have to change my life. But you just need to know if God's word and our life come in contradiction, our life needs to be adjusted, not God's word, right? Something's got to change and it isn't God's word. The grass wither, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. It's trusted and true. It's reliable and it's steady, right? Maybe you say, well, pastor, this could feel like we're being negative. No, 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 no. We're not trying to be negative. We're just trying to report what is written in God's word. God, the creator, defines how the creation should function, not the creation, right? And, and so that's all we're saying. Like, you never get mad at the mailman because he brings you a bill, right? A credit card bill. Like, what's with you? Bringing me these credit card bills. He's like, bro, you charged it. I'm just kidding. That, that's essentially all we're doing as a church. When we open God's word, we're not trying to condemn people ourselves. We're just saying this feels like... This is what God lays as as life and joy and human flourishing to the glory of God. And so we have to believe this, teach this, and live by this, right? And they realized that their life had come up short. And you know how they received God's word? Transformationally. They say, God, change me. How many are okay with God changing some things in your life, right? Romans 12, 2, he says, renew our minds, God. God, don't let us be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, meaning to be changed. The word literally means that that we would have a blueprint, God's word, and like a Christmas cookie cutter. You know what I mean? You got the Christmas tree, and you put it in the dough, and it makes a Christmas tree shape, right? That, That whatever God's word says truth is, when that's stamped down in our life, our life adjusts to God's word. We don't ask God's word to adjust to our life. We say, Jesus, you're free to change whatever needs to change in me. You're free to transform whatever needs to be transformed in me. I'm not here to change your word. I'm here to change my life to line up with your word, right? I'm not here to change your word. I'm here to let your word change me. One person said, the Bible is the only book that when you read it, it reads you. Isn't that true? It's, it's, it's living and active, <laughs> It, it points out things. The Bible says it's a mirror, James 1. We see our reflection in it and we realize, oh, that's out of place. That's out of place. That needs to change. That needs to be adjusted. We receive God's word transformationally. I wonder, Scott's edition, Midlothian, if we could just as a church commit ourselves to the fact that we're not going to decide if we like what the verse says. We're going to decide that we're going to make our life line up with the verse, right? God, you do what you want. So what happens is all the people start crying and weeping and they're depressed because they realize how much their life has come up short of God's word. And I want you to see Nehemiah tells them it's a holy day. And this is almost a surprising verse. But I want to get to the next verse. Because if you, a lot of churches stop at this verse and it's a mistake. Meaning they get we're a Bible church and we're not going to follow the ways of the culture. And they, get, they just stop right there and everyone's weeping. And they say, amen. Come to our church. We're miserable and you can be too. Preacher's mad, the greeter's mad, the parking people are mad, the nursery's mad, because God's mad at you. And if you come to the front at the end of service, he won't kill you, okay? Like, but I want you to see this. They're weeping. They realize their life has come up short. And look at this. You got to get to this next verse. The Bible says, and Nehemiah says, hey, 
I want you to go get some choice food and some sweet tea, sweet drinks. Amen, yeah. <laughs> and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is what? Holy to our God. This day is holy, okay. But you want us to bring food and drink on a holy day? What do you mean? What do you mean? Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the what? For the joy of the Lord is your Here's the point. If transformation ends in condemnation, we haven't heard the message of the cross deep enough. Because whatever confronts us doesn't leave us dead in our sin. It leads us to a cross that's filled with mercy and grace. And Nehemiah says, you're all depressed because your life came up short. But I got to tell you, we got we to gotta stay in this holy place till we go from being depressed and discouraged and broken till we realize the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many could use a little bit of joy? Come on, turn to the person next to you and tell them, you, you look like you need a little joy. Come on, tell them that. Come on, Scott's edition. Say, you look, turn to the other person and say, you need a lot of joy. Come on, you need a lot of joy. So tomorrow's Valentine's Day, right? I want you to imagine that I decide to surprise my wife. This is not going to happen, but let's say I did. And I get a stretch limousine and a tuxedo. 23 long stem roses to signify the 23 amazing years she's had with me in marriage. (laughs) Pull up to the house, get out and walk to the front door, ring the doorbell, ding dong. She opens the door. Um, I get down on one knee. I pull the long stem roses up from behind me. Katie, I love you. Get dressed. Get ready. Here's your roses. I've got a night prepared that's going to amaze you. And imagine in that moment, she's so overwhelmed. She goes, oh, Brando. Let's just say she calls me that. Brando. (laughs) Why would you do this for me? Imagine me on one knee. I said, because you know what? Last week I read a book on marriage. And it said it's the right thing to do. And it had this little thing of things I should do. And so I'm just, I'm trying to do all the little bullet points it said in the book. Because this is what a good husband does. How many would think that wouldn't go go over great, right? All right, let's try it again. Rewind. I walk to the same door. Ding dong. She opens the door. I'm on one knee. 23 long stem roses. Babe, get ready. I got a stretch limo, a night plan for you. Oh, Brando. Why would you do this for me? Because I have no greater joy in all the world than spending time with you. Oh, yeah. You know what she wouldn't say in that moment? You have no greater joy than spending time with me. So this is all about your joy. How many know me enjoying her company honors her? Let me just say this. I think it's really important. There's a whole batch of Christians big in the Bible who don't delight in God. They only duty in God. And they tell you, come to church. Pray. You're going to hate it. Read your Bible. It's a command. Come to church. You don't want to go to hell. And they duty, duty, duty. Do you think God the Father is up in heaven going, it's amazing how much these people all follow me when they really don't want to. I'm impressed by that. 
How many think that what honors the Father is people who say, I have no greater joy than worshiping and talking to my Father. Jesus made a way. I can talk to him. I can read his word. You see, I don't know if you know this. We actually have a duty to delight in God. And I think a whole batch of Bible-believing people ended on the last verse. Don't mourn. They're mourning. They're weeping. They're following the ways of God. And they think they're honoring the nature of God, but they're not because they're still in a doomsday, dutiful, uh, just following their faith, just little by little. And Nehemiah wakes the people up and he's like, you got to catch this. You got to break this religious spirit in this whole camp right now. Yes, you've come up short, but here's the great news. God has given us forgiveness. So somebody get the food. Somebody go get your, your, your uh, uh, cheesecake factory gift card we're going to dinner okay somebody else better get happy because our sins are taken away there's grace listen we need a group of people watch this lastly who receive god's word joyfully who say i've tasted and seen that the lord is good ezekiel says this he said when i ate your word it tasted to me like honey okay what is he saying that when i i've so tasted in the nature and character of god's word that when i read it and drink it in it's sweet to my taste right And I think the same is true in a relationship with God. When we really connect to the character of God, we'll move past duty into delight. We'll move past have-tos into get-tos. In fact, we have this phrase we say around our team. When people say, do I have to? We tell them, no, you get to. People will sometimes ask, if I'm a Christian, do I have to go to church every week? No, no, no. You get to. If I go to the chapel, do I have to sing in the songs and during worship? No, you get to. Do I have to serve? You don't have to serve. You get to. How many know I don't have to kiss my wife? I get to, you know. How many know she has to? You know what I mean? It's in the Bible. And uh, reverently, responsibly, accurately, transformationally joyfully because I'm telling you what if we just own a, if we just hold up an owner's manual and we see it as a burden we miss what God has for us last verse and then I'm going to pray Jesus tells a story about a father whose son comes in far from the field who's messed up his life and the father gets so excited you remember the story he throws a party he kills the, the calf and prime rib for everyone and he puts the Spotify on the dance remix setting <laughs> I mean, you know and the other son's been out in the field he's a he's a church guy believe it or not he's a bible guy and he sees the music coming from the home and sees the party going on he asks his father what in the world happened it's actually one of the servants who says your brother who was your brother's come back. Your dad's throwing this party for your brother. And he thinks to himself, my brother doesn't deserve that. And he actually confronts his father. His father actually says, nothing, everything I have is yours. Nothing's changed for you. But then the father says, what do you want me to do? This son of mine who was lost is now found. The son of mine who is dead is now alive. I had to throw a party. Let me tell you something. The danger of Bible churches is when they get legalistic and like the older brother in the field They use scripture to beat other people up with it, judge one another, and create self-righteousness. And I think some of us have grown up in churches like that. The Bible was just used by spiritual people. The guy who knew the Bible the most hurt the most people's feelings. 
And I'm here to tell you today, when you really read the book with the heart of the Father in it, it transforms you. And you don't use it to weaponize on other people. You use it as a standard to bring grace and healing and hope. Let's be a church that's all about the Bible. But hey, hey, do not mourn or weep. This day is holy. Get the food and the drink for the joy of the Lord. We need to be a church that's about God's word. But we need to be a church that's about God's word filled with joy. Filled with joy. Filled with joy. Let's stand together. In Midlothian, let's stand together. In Scott's edition, I'm going to pray for us. I wonder if as an act of faith today, as we close, we could do what the people did when they stood before the word of God and they said, amen, amen. Come on, give me an amen. Give me an amen. And the Bible says that they committed to be a part of that. And so you don't have to raise your hand way up for touchdown if that makes you uncomfortable. You could just hold the baby. You know what I mean? Like whatever. To, but come on, I wonder today if just with eyes closed, if you're whatever level of comfort you have, like the people who stretch their hands out, we could say, God, we want to be this kind of church. So God, we want to be a church that reverently and accurately and responsively, oh God, and transformationally and joyfully receive your word. God, would this house never be a house that's about the ideas of a human being, but would we be about being built on your word? God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Oh God, would you let us be a church that holds up your truth? God, let it be known in our city that there's a church that stands on the word of God that isn't trying to rewrite it or edit it or delete it or adjust it. God, that's just laying it open and saying, God, whatever you said, we said. Whatever you say, we'll follow. God, you you are the author of life. And so we give you our hearts and we give you our lives. Come on, just say amen this weekend. God, we give you our hearts, our lives. Would your word be alive and active in our lives? God, be, be big in our church and big in your word.